0: Hey, I'm Steve Holland thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash freelance But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for data visualisation expert Stephanie Evergreen.
1: The answer is always... Raise your prices. And it's always the right answer. You're too busy, raise your prices. Not getting the right clients, raise your prices. So I started to really put some firmer boundaries around my work, and I decided I'm no longer getting up before my kid wakes up to cram hours of work in and I'm not gonna stay up till midnight cramming more work in. I'm just gonna either take on less projects or get help. So whenever I start to feel like I'm running out of hours in the day, I know I need to reach out and hire someone else. I started a mentoring group thinking I should be passing this on to other people. So now I am a mentee and a mentor. There is something really fulfilling about it. I mean, when you are a freelancer, it can get to feel kind of lonely. And I'm always dying to talk to other people who run their own business. Like, I wanna know what accounting service you're using. It's boring stuff. So I can't really get a lot of takers who will wanna sit down and talk about those things. (laughs) So this group is a good place because everybody's there just for that.
0: Yes, Stephanie is this week's guest. And uh, but I must say thank you very much to Alicia who listens to the Being Freelance podcast, who reached out to me and recommended Stephanie. So thank you very much, Alicia. I appreciate it. Hope you enjoy our conversation but it's coming up in a moment. Before that, though, let me remind you, beingfreelance.com is the website to go to, to find the links to us on Twitter and Instagram, and also my vlog where I document my freelance journey. I would love it if you enjoyed the podcast. Please do hit subscribe and turn on notifications and leave a comment. Let me know what you think of the videos. Also, So we have the community, so you can come and be part of that. That's been a really nice thing to kick off this year with. Just follow the link at beingfreelance.com and I will see you in there if you enjoy this as well please consider I I never say this and I I really should if you enjoy the podcast please consider leaving a review wherever you get them you hear proper podcasters say that and I always forget so please uh, do consider leaving a review but I always think on top of that even more important like If you could just recommend it, that would be awesome. Like, be it on Twitter or Instagram or make a blog post about it or a YouTube video or heavens, meet a person in real life and tell them about it, then that would be awesome. It just helps spread the word and get more people listening, but also being inspired and being helped as they go freelance around the world. Thank you. Right, let's crack on, shall we? And hear from this week's guest, and that is data visualization expert, Stephanie Evergreen. Hey, Stephanie.
1: Hi, Steve. So glad to be here.
0: Now, as ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how common my story is, but I sort of got forced into being freelance. Um, <laughs> I was working uh, at a salary job for someone else, and I kept getting cool clients I wanted to work with, but my boss was saying no, that, they, that the project was too small or that the project wasn't in their wheelhouse. Um, so I started my own company with their permission and started to take on these projects on the side. But, you know, it's kind of funny because as I started teaching people about the importance of data visualization and all of that, the company I was working for decided that it was, in fact, going to be in their wheelhouse. Once they realized how popular the idea was, they decided they're going to um, make this one of their things. So we were suddenly in competition. And <laughs> And they asked me to shut my business down, and I said no. So I was sort of like forced at that point to go completely independent.
0: Wow. Let me just make sure I've understood that. So they weren't in competition, so you started doing it on the side, and then they realized, oh, actually, that seems like a good idea. You have to bring it in-house. And you were like, no way. Right. And that's when you went freelance.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) It was scary. It was a scary time because, you know, I think a lot of people who go into freelance have a good plan and they've saved up six months salary and, you know, they've gone about it in a very rational way. And that seems a lot smarter than just saying no and walking out. So... (laughs)
0: And to put that in perspective, what year was that? When was that?
1: That was about 10 years ago.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So was it literally like that afternoon I'm, I'm going or like what?
1: Um, I did put in a nice two weeks notice. But even in that time, there was still like meetings with HR where they were pressuring me to take my website down and, and things along those lines. So it was unpleasant
0: Ah, It's a shame, but you held strong. So you went out. So how were you getting those those first clients when suddenly it wasn't just a thing on the side, but it, it had to sustain you?
1: Well, so it was also my dissertation topic. Um, the nice thing about my employer was at a university, so I had free tuition. So I figured I might as well pick up a PhD if it's going to be free. <laughs> and my dissertation was on how people communicate their data uh, which was great. It was the smartest dissertation I could have ever picked because it was easy. The answer was poorly, so I just started. <laughs> so I started uh, blogging uh, about what I was finding, just sort of in my literature review. And I went to a couple conferences in my field and started talking about literally just what I was finding in my in my lit review section. Uh, and it was so popular so fast. I just had people scrambling for me to come do work with them. So
0: people were scrambling for you to work with them?
1: Yep. Just, um, I think I started blogging when it was a good time to start blogging and there wasn't a whole lot happening in the field. So I think people ask me now if they should start a blog. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. Things are The field is kind of full. We can always use more. Um, but it's not going to get quite the same attention as I got when I first started mine just because it was such a new thing back then.
0: Yeah. So how did it... Evolve from there. So if this is you, you would work with what would you work with multiple clients at a time? Like, how how did it look for you?
1: Yes, it was. It was multiple clients at a time. And, you know, it's always been for me a mix of doing design work for people, like helping them actually create data visualizations and teaching them doing workshops. So almost immediately, I was on the road traveling around doing capacity building workshops for organizations. So it's always been just a mix of life on the road and life at the computer.
0: And when we say life on the road, is that like locally or like all over?
1: Oh, it's all over. Yeah, these days it's, it's worldwide.
0: But at the time, was it worldwide?
1: No, it started out pretty small. It started out in doing domestic work throughout the US. Um, but it wasn't very long after that when I started to get international attention. I think one of the first keynotes I did was in New Zealand.
0: Wow. So when you were being booked on those workshops, did you come across anything like pricing-wise? Like how did you know how to, to go about that?
1: You know, it was really difficult. So the main conference in my field, my main association has an annual conference and they always have some workshops ahead of time. And I had been asked to give one of those, which was great. And so I was taking their pricing structure as my cue for what I should be charging. And then and I did that without really even looking around or thinking about it, just because I had no baseline or benchmark otherwise to work from. And then um, after a couple of years, I figured out that they were really not paying people what they're worth at all, and that I had been undercharging myself <laughs> for a good long while. So after I started asking around and thinking about it, um, I've also had a really good mentors who I've been able to call up over the years when I'm feeling stressed out because of the workload. And the answer is always raise your prices. And it's always the right answer. You're too busy, raise your prices. Not getting the right clients, raise your prices. I mean, it's always been the right answer. And once I listened to that and I started doing that and I realized I can make a lot more than the few hundred bucks they were going to pay me at that conference, then things started to turn around.
0: Yeah, because there must be a lot to factor in, you know, whenever you travel, other than the actual cost of traveling is like the time out, the time planning. It's not just being in a room.
1: Yes, exactly. There's all that prep work. And, um, you know, I have uh, lots of friends who are artists and they always say, like, you can't price art by the number of hours that you actually spend at the canvas painting. Uh, You have to price it based on its value on the education that you got, like the degree you got that informs all of that stuff. And you can't, I mean, if you're really going to price hourly, you got to factor in all that stuff. And so, you know, I don't really do hourly pricing anymore for that very reason.
0: Yeah. So you have a blog you and as in i'm winding back in time now so you got the blog Mm -hmm. you're starting to do workshops Mm -hmm. and conference and this is all happening within the first few years
1: oh yeah this was like right away um and as soon as i finished my dissertation uh, a publisher approached and asked if we could publish that into a book so within (laughs) a year of leaving my um company within a year of leaving my salary job i had a book out um so yeah it all happened really fast
0: That's so good, isn't it? What happened next? Like, did you suddenly find that you had too much work or?
1: Yeah, I did. And um, I remember I was in New York City getting ready to do two days of workshops at the United Nations. And it was February and it was miserable outside. I had spent all day slogging through airport delays to get there. And I had also spent that previous weekend preparing for my first subcontractor. I had found somebody and we had negotiated everything. And I was pulling together her first project when she emailed me to say, out of the blue, she could not take the job. And I just sat there like devastated because I had a mountain of work ready to give her. And I could not focus on it for the next two days because I was going to be at the United Nations doing a workshop. I was just like, oh my Lord, I don't know how I'm going to manage all this. So that's when I called my mentor. And he said, raise your prices.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is great in the long time, but actually you still had to do that work. Yeah. So that was the first person that you were going to bring on to work with you or like as a freelance. Yes. When you were doing that, or as you do it now, do your clients know that it's not just through you? If you see what I mean,
1: yeah. Well, they do, and I do. I have a team now. Um, it took me a while. I was kind of burned by that experience, so it took me a while to try again. And now I have a team of about six people who help me on projects. So I'm never just handing over an entire project to someone. I'm always doing the conceptual work, and. Than giving them the structure and the picture that I want and just asking them to make it. So my clients know that I'm always going to be heavily involved.
0: And actually that links into something I was wondering because if I go to your website, you're called Evergreen Data or Data or Data or like however it might be pronounced in different parts of the world. Um, Have you always been?
1: Yeah, I have. I have gone through some rebranding over the years, but that's always been it. And it's kind of funny because it's just my last name, but then I realized how much evergreen means something to people like that as a mm-hmm. as a word uh and so because of that people will tell me that they've been reading my blog for years and they'll have conversations with their colleagues where they'll say things like that graph needs to be evergreen so my it's become like a verb um and i love that so yeah we're going to keep that company name
0: did that start as the name of your blog before you were a company
1: yes it's always been like
0: uh-huh. my. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I guess that makes it easier when when you start to bring on other people, as in it already seems like it's bigger than just Stephanie Evergreen. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, I think every freelancer probably ends up collaborating with folks here and there um, over the years. So, you know, we're never in isolation.
0: How have you found managing those people? Like, it, it obviously didn't go well that first time, but...
1: Yeah, you know... um It's a struggle. I'll be honest with you. I just finished reading a book that I I cannot recommend. It's called... uh, (laughs) It's called... You
0: cannot recommend. I didn't know whether it cut out on enough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's called something like The E-Myths Revisited. Oh my God, yes. Go on. Yeah, so I just finished reading through it and it's got some... The initial idea is a good one, which is that most of the time people go into business for themselves because they're really good technicians. They're really good at doing design and data visualization. Uh, And so, and they don't want to be doing it for the man. They don't want to be doing it for some boss. They want to be doing it for themselves. And that's where I was for sure. When I quit, I was like, well, why would I bring this project into the company and give my boss half the profit when I could just keep it all, right? Um, But good technicians do not necessarily make good managers or good entrepreneurs. And to run your own business, you have to be all of those things. And a lot of businesses fail because we're technicians and we have to become things that we previously hated. So that's an interesting concept. Now the book, I don't like at all because it's old. It's misogynistic Uh, all throughout. I was like, oh my God, this man is so patronizing. There's, (laughs) there's zero discussion of like, The whole marketing section does not once mention social media or anything online. I'm like, okay, so the first chapter is probably good and worth reading. And then I think you just skip the rest.
0: Yeah, it's funny because that book keeps cropping up in my life at the moment. Mariana, a guest recently mentioned it. And I have so many problems with it. The whole storytelling bit with the girl with the pies—oh, yes. just the way it's written. Yes, but I But that's—I mean, you mentioned social media, but it must have been written pre-social media because there is reference to fax machines um, for a start. <laughs> um, but some elements, some some elements—the um, one you just mentioned rings true, and the one about. Uh, Creating an org chart for your organization, even if it's just you writing down every task that you do so that in the future, if you do replace yourself, you know what it is. I I quite like that one.
1: I did, too. Yeah, those are the two big pieces I got out of it, writing up job descriptions for each uh, role in your company and signing those yourself Mm. until you pass it off. I really like that idea as well. Um, But the thing that really, um, in addition to the other thing, as you said, that I didn't like he says in there that the goal of starting a business is to sell it. Yes. And I was like, that's not why I'm a business. I'm not here to sell my company one day. Like that's not, that's not why I got started. And that's not what my goal is now, even though I've been doing this for a while. So I've been thinking a lot lately about what growth looks like and what success looks like and how you know you, when you want to stop, like where's the sweet spot?
0: Yes. And what have you come to?
1: I don't know. I'm still struggling with that. You know, I picked up this new book and I've only just barely cracked the cover of it, but it's called A Company of One.
0: By Paul Jarvis. So he was on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah.
1: Oh, lovely. Great. Yeah. Well, I think his book just came out because I just got it in my Kindle. And um, it's this really interesting... It's like the exact opposite concept where the idea is, how much do you really want to work? Like how much... Maybe, maybe I think he told the story about some accountant who has a number he needs to hit every year. And once he hits the number, he's done working for the year. And that's such an interesting concept. And it's exactly the opposite of grow, 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 and then sell.
0: So a company of one speaks to you much more.
1: Yeah, it does. And this all circles back to the original question you asked me, which was, how does it feel to manage people? And in the past several years, I've only had like one major subcontractor and then a sprinkling of others. But now I've really grown the business this year out of necessity. We're getting so much cool work to do. So I've I've taken on more and my role is shifting certainly into one that's more of management and um, setting vision and things like that. So I'm having to be more of like an entrepreneur and a manager and not a technician. And this will be the year where I determine whether I like that.
0: <laughs> Interesting. How did you know when you need to bring on certain people?
1: Yeah, well, so when I first got started, I was writing a dissertation in grad school working a full-time job running this business on the side and i had a fresh baby <laughs> i know it's so,
0: we're adding the baby into the mix yes. brilliant
1: It was really dumb. I mean, life just gives you what you need. You just deal with it, right? So, but I had many years where I slept like three hours a night and I just got used to that. And then I got smarter and realized I love sleeping. So I I started to like really put some firmer boundaries around my work and I decided I'm no longer getting up before my kid wakes up to cram hours of work in and I'm not going to stay up till midnight cramming more work in. I'm just going to either take on less projects or get help. Um, So whenever I start to feel like I'm running out of hours in the day, I know I need to reach out and hire someone else.
0: Nice, yeah. Have you figured out how best to price that as well? You know, as in having more people, the fact that there is a cost involved in you managing people and making a profit and so on?
1: Yeah, I don't have a... I don't know yet. Um, I hope I... Get it right. I feel like budgeting is really difficult. There's always the dance, right, where you want to know what their budget is, and they want to know how much you're gonna charge, and you're like trying to dance around each other to figure out what it's gonna be. And it's always a bit of a risk. Like I always propose a flat fee for projects, and uh, you know, if we're if it goes well and everything is really smooth, then we're probably gonna make a little more if we broke it down hourly. Um, but sometimes it's a gamble and we end up taking a lot longer than we thought. So I don't know. I'm I'm not sure I've got it right yet, but, um, it's something I'm always thinking about and reflecting on.
0: So you had one book, you were doing workshops, uh, but how, how has your business changed beyond that in, in those intervening 10 years or whatever it is?
1: Yes, it has. So I have another book that came out in the meantime. And I I keep writing books thinking, okay, like, I'll give people the content I would deliver in a workshop because I can't keep doing workshops like I've only got so many days in the year. Um, So I keep trying to find ways to give my content to people without having to like stand in front of them all day. I love doing workshops. It's just that I can't only travel so much, but every time I do something like that, it just gets me more workshops. So this idea has totally backfired. Um, (laughs) but I wrote a second book and, um, and then I, uh, I launched an academy, which is all of my workshop content plus in a virtual classroom setting. And that has become very popular and it's, one of the favorite, my favorite things that I do. And we have about 500 students who are enrolled right now. So that's super fun. And the whole like online learning scenario, I love it. It's great. It helps us reach people who we would never be able to travel to otherwise. Like we have a really big international presence inside the Academy among the students who are enrolled. But I had to learn so much about technology. This is like not my area at all, but I had to learn, oh my gosh, just so much about websites and content management systems and just, oh my Lord, all of it. So it's been a really big
0: learning curve. When did you start that, the academy?
1: Um, I want to say three years ago.
0: So what did you find? Because like you say, steep learning curve, ironically, for uh, an academy. So... How did you get on?
1: Well, I have uh, an IT person who initially was on my team just to sort of help me with my website, but he's had to take on more and more responsibilities just in helping me figure things out about how the back end of all the technologies we've, um, we have are going to work together or talk to each other. And the nice part is I, I, I tell people who are considering this that you almost need a full-time person just to manage the back end. just to communicate with all of the people who are like, you know, I'm going to be leaving my job in two weeks and can we transition my subscription to this other person instead? You know, there's always stuff like that going on and you need a lot of attention given to that. That can be a difficult thing to manage if you're really supposed to be doing data visualization all day. So mm. what I have learned though, is how much technology these days can help, how much we can automate stuff. Um, and that's, That's been awesome. We can almost, almost replace a person with just automation. Um, But what people really want is the human touch. You know, they want to like know that you're a real human who's listening to them and, and talking with them. And that cannot be easily automated
0: yeah so you've created your own platform for that or have you used an existing one
1: no we've pulled together probably six or seven different technologies to create a platform and if I didn't have a guy like my guy um, who could get back into the code and make it all happen um, it wouldn't be as cool as it is
0: and I noticed when I when I looked at your Academy that you like it's not like a permanently open rolling thing is it
1: No, it's not. We only open enrollment twice a year.
0: Is that what you've done from the very beginning or?
1: Yep. Yep. We open it for um, a month or until we fill 100 seats and then we close it again.
0: What was the thinking behind that?
1: Well, we do want a lot of personal contact with folks. We want them to feel like they're not just watching a screen, but that they're part of a community. And it can be hard to do that when you have a bunch of new people coming in all the time or when there's more people than the staff here can reasonably reach out to. So we have to keep it small just to help those, to hold their hand and coach them in and and get them up and running. And then we'll be ready to um, let in a new cohort. Nice.
0: And... I mean, you just said here, the staff here, is that as in a metaphorical here or do you now have a base with a team or is it all remote?
1: Yeah, no, it's a metaphorical here for sure. Um, it's literally just me here in my office. Everyone else is remote, but I kind of feel like, isn't that the case these days in the freelance <laughs> economy? Every You could be on the beach in Puerto Rico and, and be
0: here. Yes, very true sadly i'm not <laughs> i I'm, mean I'm, I'm in a sterile meeting room overlooking a car park but yeah I'm, I'm on a beach i'm shutting my eyes um so and that office is at home is it
1: it is yes i had my attic renovated last year so that it's this gorgeous office i had always read i don't know if you have paid attention to what's that guy's name alan weiss no He's like the consultant to consultants. He's got a book called like The Million Dollar Consultant or something like that. He's got a lot of books out. And I recently quit following him too because he was misogynistic. Um, But a piece of advice that I got from his books when I first started reading them, there's a lot of good advice in there. Um, he, He said that you don't need to have an office outside of your home until you hit seven figures. And I thought that was a really interesting notion. And I think a lot of freelancers take on overhead. That they might not necessarily need to take on because they seek an office outside of their house. And that's a very big expense to have to cover every month. So I try to keep over, overhead as low as possible.
0: Yeah. What's work-life balance like for you now? that? Like, had, uh, so there was one baby 10 years ago. Yes. Were there any more in the intervening years?
1: No, just the one. But it is difficult. Yeah, it is. It's hard to raise a kid and run a full-time business that is essentially another baby. And I'm always in the middle of writing a book of some kind or revising a book or something like that. Um, so it does feel like there's a lot that has to get packed into every day. But at the same time, you know, I think it's really important to have an active social life and to stay really healthy. So I'll jet out in the middle of the day and go to the gym almost every single day. And I really believe in vacation.
0: <laughs> nice. So how often how often do you take a break?
1: Um, I think last year I took five vacations. That's good. Yeah, because yeah. in the States,
0: you don't, like, if you're in a job, you don't get that many vacations, right. do you?
1: No, you certainly don't. And I mean, you know, I'll be on vacation and I'll check email for an hour or something. So it's not like I'm leaving work totally behind, but I'm not tied to it like I would be if I was in the office.
0: Have you had to put, stuff in place though in order to take that time off like what you know did you build up to having five off a year rather than like I don't know maybe the first year with none I don't know
1: no I've always just uh felt like we can make it work you know the technology is amazing like I can handle so many work emails from my phone while I'm on the bus going from one place to another right so I feel like we should be able to make it all happen
0: nice well good for you uh You mentioned, you know, getting on the phone to your mentors when you were stressed out in that room in New York City. How did you find your mentor or mentors? I'm pretty sure you said plural.
1: Yeah, I have had great mentors over the years. Um, Some of them have approached me because they're other women in business who are in the same area as me. And I think women keep an eye out for other women who are upcoming when they see them hitting the same sort of obstacles that they hit like 20 years ago. So I've had the great fortune to have women who guide me. And I have a man too, who is my mentor. And I think that um, it's someone that I've always really respected. And I just never felt Like, even brave enough to talk to this person. And then he started talking to me, and he's been such an invaluable resource and a friend throughout my life. So I started a mentoring group um, last year, thinking I should be passing this on to other people, especially other women. So now I am a mentee and a mentor.
0: Aha. Is it like a virtual mentoring group? And is that one on one, or are you all getting together? A group makes it sound like it's together.
1: Yeah, I have um, five mentees right now. I did a little um, contest. It's been uh, almost a year now. I it wasn't well. Contest is a bad word for it, but I did a call for mentees. I asked people to apply and just tell me where they're at with their business and what they want out of an experience like this. And I told them uh, I picked five and said I, we will be together for a year. Um, and every week I give them a new assignment a new little business related task to help like shape what they need to be thinking about behind the scenes and the end of our year is going to be next month we're all kind of sad about it right now but i'll get another cohort in after that
0: wow and is that just uh for the love of it thing or is that part of your business
1: no it's just purely because there's a need out there
0: that's nice and so do you get something out of that
1: Well, whenever I'm asking them to do something, I always have to say, here's how it looks in my business as an example. So I end up having to do the assignments too. (laughs) Um, but there is something really fulfilling about it. I mean, when you are a freelancer and your team, if you have one is all remote, it can get to feel kind of lonely. And I'm always like dying to talk to other people who run their own business. Like, let's just sit down and talk about like, I want to know what accounting service you're using. It's boring stuff. So I can't really get a lot of takers who will want (laughs) to sit down and talk about those things with me. (laughs) So this group is a good place because everybody's there just for that.
0: Sure. Sure. Tell me what accounting service do you use, Stephanie?
1: <laughs> so I'm using FreshBooks myself. What do you use?
0: I use FreeAgent. But actually, okay. was that something like, did you start off? doing it yourself, or have you always used online software?
1: I have gone online as early as possible. One of my favorite conferences um, that I that my, that my association belongs to, um, there is a, a subgroup inside of there who's focused on independent consulting. And so every year they have a session that's sort of like this round robin where you hear from experts and you just go from table to table and each expert will have a topic they're going to talk about for like five minutes and then you switch. And um, one year... One of the experts was talking about the technology, the tools that she uses to help manage and automate this stuff behind the scenes. And I swear, I think I implemented every single thing that she said.
0: Wow, oh, so what did you implement? One of them was online accounting.
1: Yes. She told me, I think uh, it was a while ago now, but I think she told me to be using Boomerang in my Gmail inbox to help stuff float to the um, surface or to send at certain times, which is really helpful because then you train your clients that even though you might be working 24 hours a day, you're (laughs) not, you send emails between nine and five, right? Like (laughs) so that people don't, um, yeah, don't think anything else. And And they also were talking about social media back then that we needed to be on at least one platform.
0: And so, what what do you find works best for you?
1: Well, you know, I think you gotta go where your people are. And in my in my field, they're all over Twitter. That's where the data viz nerds tend to hang out. <laughs> so, um, so that's where that's where I think I do the most work.
0: It's funny. I saw on your on your website that you do a personal annual report? Or in mm-hmm. fact, I, I even read the fact that the one you've just done is going to be your last one, but you've done it for years. Mm-hmm. Like, What's the concept of that and what have you got out of doing it?
1: So originally the concept was the quantified self. I don't know if um, if you're familiar with that term, but you know, there's this movement in the database community to count stuff and make visuals out of it. And so quantified self is like counting your own stuff and a lot of companies actually do this for us now like your fitbit is sort of helping you with quantified self because it's giving you metrics of on your on your own activities so i started making this up and at first it was just sort of like this fun thing but it got so much attention and i had people even come up and tell me that they basically stole my design and put their own content in it and gave it to their boss and got a raise like (laughs) (laughs) like I knew it was valuable for people so actually I started um giving people the template just instead of trying to copy my images from a picture file online let me just give you the template you can put your own data in it so it's kind of been a way for me to just lightly brag about the cool stuff that we're that we've been doing here but then yeah like I said in this last in in my blog post I said this is my last one because I just I started to think about the numbers and I'm like oh so I flew fewer miles this year wow this is the first time this metric has gone down and I'm like wait a minute isn't that a good thing like do I really want to be on the road that much is, it, is this gonna ever end if we always think that up is gonna be success right like I don't want to be that guy. You see those people at the airport, don't you, where it's like they call first class and it's just like, or the diamond medallions, and it's like 50 old white dudes who look really worn out and they've all got the same suit on. And I just feel like I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. So I started to think a lot about what success actually looks like. Where's that sweet spot?
0: It's really interesting, though, because you're you're sort of seeing that by doing that self-analysis as in it's quite easy just to skip on by and keep doing the work but doing that report has made you think that way
1: exactly yeah and I mean but this was the first year that I've even thought that way I think I started doing this in 2011 and the metrics have always gone up I'd never even stopped to question it, it was only when the metrics went down that I was like whoa wait a minute uh what am I even really doing <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Okay, now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie, and let me figure out that lie. What have you got for me, Stephanie? Okay.
1: On the lunch break, during one of my workshops, I walked to Mexico. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Second one. There was a mouse in one of my workshop rooms, so I gave the entire talk standing on a chair. Right. And the third one. I once got paid for a workshop, not in cash, but in a South African safari.
0: Okay. So you walked to Mexico. I'm, I'm presuming that you weren't in Toronto at the time.
1: <laughs> I was in Laredo, Texas. It's right at the border. The hotel was like, you look out your hotel window and there's the Rio Grande River and then Mexico, like right there. So I just... Walked right across the bridge. Why
0: not? Do you need your passport to, to get over?
1: Yes, you do. And then I ordered my lunch
0: in Spanish. Brilliant. What did you have in Mexico for lunch?
1: I had aguacate, avocado, arroz, which is rice, and pollo, which is chicken.
0: Hmm, That sounds believable. You stood on a chair for the whole of a workshop because of a mouse. Uh-huh. uh-huh. It sounds like something from a Tom and Jerry cartoon. <laughs> um, where, where was that?
1: It was in a big conference room in a hotel.
0: How many people were in the room?
1: Oh, I'm going to say maybe 75.
0: Was everybody standing on chairs?
1: No, because they were there for a longer period of time, and they were kind of like, yeah, we know that there's a mouse in the room now. I was only in for like a short little thing, and I was like not handling it well.
0: You're not really scared of a mouse, though, surely.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I kind of am. That's all right.
0: And the third one, I've not written the third one down. What was the third one?
1: I once got paid for a workshop, not in cash, but in a South African safari.
0: Was it a South African safari firm that were holding the workshop? like how were you in South Africa? I don't understand.
1: Yes, I was in South Africa for another reason and for another workshop, and this group asked if I could um, tack on a workshop for them, but they were a non nonprofit, and the exchange rate is very bad between the South African dollar and the u s dollar so they said we know we're not going to even come close to what you would normally
0: charge so how about a safari okay that's pretty cool oh i don't know okay these all sound no actually i was gonna say they all sound plausible but i'll be honest they don't the one i (laughs) I don't believe is the mouse um it sounds (laughs) like i mean admittedly you might stand on the chair for a bit and then you get a laugh and then the mouse is gone probably sits down starts taking notes and you you wouldn't stand on the no you didn't stand on the chair for the whole of a workshop.
1: I did not. You're you're right. There was a mouse, yes! but I did not stand on the chair. Yes. Well done.
0: <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, Stephanie, what would that be?
1: I don't want to give the basic advice that probably everybody gives, but you know, it has been the pathway to such a cool life. I was taking my kid to school this morning. And he was like, your life is so interesting. And I was like, I know it really is. <laughs> Cause I get paid to work with like really amazing people on such awesome projects. And, and it usually includes travel to like really cool locations, like a South African safari. And I get to make a good chunk of money doing it. And, and I have a lot of fun and I didn't ever think that it was going to be as fun and thrilling as it has turned out to be. I mean, I think back to when I was forced into this position, and I was in these scary meetings with HR about having this business that was suddenly in competition with them, and, and it was it was a dark and scary time. And I I was young, and I didn't know how to navigate that kind of situation. It was really frightening. And then here we are on the other side, where there's so much light and joy. So I think I would tell my younger self to just do it, and and I think that's probably the advice that a lot of uh, people give them cells if they are looking back, and uh, what they would say to other folks who are contemplating going freelance that it's a decision I could have made sooner, and to go for it.
0: Stephanie, it's been brilliant chatting to you. Uh, Do go as ever to beingfreelance.com. There are always links through to what our guests are up to and also so that you can find them online. The rules apply to Stephanie too. So it is all there at beingfreelance.com. And while you're there, click the link through, join the community. You've got the videos, my vlogs, what I get up to as a freelancer, the articles as well. And you can always wave hello to myself. And in this instance, Stephanie on Twitter or Instagram or whatever it might be, come find us. Don't be shy. But thank you so much Stephanie and yeah all the best being freelance
1: thank you thanks for having me